Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Ferris Musa. Thanks for being on the show again, Ferris. No problem, Whitney. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I'm honored to have you back on the show. In case you didn't hear his first episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to show WS446 and just so much great content. I can't believe how, how many just quotes he mentioned alone that were like things that we need to hear in this business and just a great operator. Ferris and his partner, Ben, are, are just growing, done lots of deals now and just really becoming a leader in this industry. And so looking forward to this conversation as well. And, you know, I encourage the listener to go back and listen, like I said, because we're just going to jump right in and because Ferris has so much experience and knowledge that he's going to give to us this show as well. But we wanted to talk specifically about a recent deal that they completed and so many lessons learned. So Ferris, let's jump right into this 99 unit deal that you all, I think you went full cycle on. Is that right? Yeah, full cycle on it. And yeah, this is the deal. I don't want to say the deal from hell, but it kind of was. It's just, you know, we learned everything went wrong that can go wrong on a deal did. And, you know, kind of how do you work through it and continue to kind of fix those challenges. So So tell me though, you know, when in your syndication career, did you purchase this deal? Oh man, we bought this deal two years ago. So this deal is a deal we sold, what, kind of last year, or I guess earlier this year. I mean, I guess they're still not in 2020 just yet, but you know, it's a deal that going back to what I said in the last show, right? We were in Texas, we were starting to get up, basically outbid from Texas. We knew we weren't going to be able to find the price points that we wanted in Dallas or Houston. And, you know, we were looking for other markets. And so we knew we wanted to get into Atlanta. We identified that. And we needed to make sure we had a deal that was a home run, a deal that we could make sure we will home run as long as we execute the business plan. Right. And so then this deal fell in our lap. You know, it's a deal pretty much a lot of people just kind of glossed over, right? Not as much interest because it was just a, it's a deeper value add than most people want. And so, this was a deal that was on paper 80% occupied, right? The previous owners were just kind of known for poor boiling things. I mean, so much deferred maintenance, more than what we even expected. And, you know, this deal had on top of that nine down units, right? So if you do the math, 99 units, nine of them were down. So that's 10% pretty much of the units were down. You know, so a lot of people would say it's a rougher deal, tenant base area is kind of an okay, mediocre area. Right. And it's got down units. So it means bridge debt, all of the things that, you know, all the people just shy away from. But for Ben and I, whenever we looked at him, we're like, man, this deal is gold. We knew that this deal could make money. Right. And so I, you know, I went out there first, saw the deal, and I'm like, hey, we're going to get this deal. So then, you know, we get this deal under contract. Ben hadn't seen the deal. And so I bring him out and, you know, it took him about six hours to warm up. At first, he's like, what are we getting ourselves into? But, you know, by the end of the day, sun came out. We have a nice picture of Ben and I standing near the sign. And, you know, we knew that it was a deal that could work. And so, you know, kind of, we hit issues from the very beginning. So first problem was really the debt, right? And so it's bridge debt. You know, we like bridge because it's a tool, right? And I think bridge gets a misnomer because people try to use the wrong tool, bridge debt, to go buy a stabilized deal. That's not what bridge debt is for, right? We currently have what, across a portfolio, probably four deals with bridge. And, you know, those are deals that we could sell quickly. I mean, used correctly, bridges is very powerful, now, the issue was that for that deal, a lot of bridge lenders didn't like the deal up front. And then, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know, right? It was kind of our first real foray into bridge. And we used a lender that 
I'm tempted to mention the name, but I'll probably leave it out. If anyone wants to know, please feel free to email me. I will help you avoid the mistakes that we made. But essentially, this lender was just known kind of as a loan-to-own lender, right? And so they know this deal's deep value add, right? We're putting in, you know, $1.5 million of rehab into it, nine down units. So our whole business plan is predicated on bringing those units online and getting that money injected into this property. Now, in addition to that, right, so during closing, you have to buy what's called an interest cap, right? So with a bridge loan, right, it's a floating interest rate. You buy a cap that essentially, think of it as insurance, right, that you have an upper ceiling of where the cap is going to be and it's not going to go above that. And so the lenders require that. Now, this deal was not a big loan, right? You know, it was, a, what, I think a $4 million loan. Our interest cap on that deal ended up costing us $50,000, right? We did an $18 million deal last year that interest cap was a $20,000 interest cap. Makes absolutely no sense. So from the get-go, this lender is just excessive fees and then just kind of they're really tied on their, on their thresholds. And so the problem is you get into closing, and this is something I advise everyone just to be careful of because once you're you know, two weeks from closing, I mean, that deal is happening, right, one way or another. So lenders, everything will come out of the woodworks, you know, and you can't really do much about it, unfortunately, right? And you, yeah, you can try to say, okay, I'm not going to go with you, but you're not going to go find a new lender in a week. And so all, I mean, miscellaneous fees, all this nonsense. So great. We kind of suck it up, bite the bullet, get the closing. And so we get the deal closed. That's kind of the first, you know, awakening with this lender. I'm like, all right, who are we getting ourselves in bed with really? Because you're stuck with them, right? And so, you know, we buy this deal and, you know, we take occupancy down from the first three months or four months from, 80% down to 40% occupancy, right? Cleaning out all of just the riffraff, right? And getting a nice base to start with. And so, you know, again, that's painful because now you're operating in the red, right? And so now property's 40% occupied. We need to get money out and, you know, get this thing going. And it's just, you know, chaos ensues on this deal, right? Maybe I'll pause there because I know I talk fast. I talk a lot. So I'll pause there if you have any questions before I kind of continue through this story. Yeah. Well, there's so many things and I know some of the stuff about bridge debt we've covered before, and I want you to have time to elaborate a little more, you know, on some other things, but bridge debt, it's a tool. It's a great way to get a deal done when it's used properly. You know, and even you mentioning that, you know, it's not something used on stabilized deals. And so when do you see that and what's the problem there? Honestly, people use it for stabilizer whenever they can't get their numbers to work. And so with Bridge, they can get a little bit better leverage, a little bit more. They can squeeze a little more juice from that turnip. But the problem is you're essentially setting yourself up for failure because you're now you're taking on short-term debt that has unknown you know, kind of risk tolerance for the interest rates. And yeah, it might look good now, but what's your exit? And again, people really forget to think about the exit. Exit means who am I selling to? What is their situation? What is my cost to do that? What timeline am I doing that in, right? Am I going to have my NOI where I need it to be? So all these things need to be accounted for on the exit. And I think people go on a bridge and they're like, well, look, I can get three years and I can buy two years. I can get into this deal for five. And I'm like, that's fine. But there's costs associated with bridge. I mean, bridge is, right. you know, again, it's a tool. And so for us, we like it for deeper value add deals, right? It, you know, or if a deal that we need to buy, but we can't because it's not stabilized, so we can't get agency, great. We'll buy the bridge, do our work, and refi that deal into a permanent. You know, so, what the year. do you wish now you had asked that lender, or the questions you had asked, or how, you know, what would you have done different? The mistake we made was just not knowing the lender. They are notorious, so they are, like I said, a loan to own. And so, maybe I'll get into the story, but every time we went to ask for money, it was just you know moving field goal post, right? They were intentionally trying to see if we could default on that deal. That's really fundamentally what they were trying to do. I mean, it was just lie after lie after lie. And it's not 
you know, I'm on the bad end of it and I'm just complaining. I mean, it was legitimately like documented things to where we just had to escalate and escalate. I'm like, you guys are just wasting all of our time. And, you know, my best example was never our asset manager there. She basically said is the best turnaround she had ever seen, but we're not going to approve any of this. I'm like, so, you know, it gets to the point where maybe back to the story, right? We're operating in the red, 40% occupancy. There's not much money coming in. You're losing money, right? And we need to get units online, get things that you upgraded. And, you know, if the longer we take, the more money we're losing. And so, you know, in that model, I mean, we just self-funded the thing just to get it's a bunch of pipes, right? You got to get all the pipes unclogged. And once you do that, money comes in, then you can start to get things going, things get leased back up. And so, you know, for that deal, right? So maybe back to the, the initial thing, right? The deal had nine down units. And the reason they were down is because one of the buildings on a slope, right? And because it was on a slope, there was a pump that had to pump sewage into the city sewage, right? That would run, you know, every few hours. So what happened is that pump had failed and had backed up to the nine units. And that's why they've been down for years. So whenever we went out there, we thought this must be like a $300,000 system to kind of fix. It cost us $30,000 to put this brand new, the previous owner had put in residential grade one pump versus we put in commercial two pumps. So they take turns. If one fails, there's a siren that goes off so you can know to get that fixed. And so it cost $30,000 cost. Now, how much value did we add by bringing those units online, right? It's crazy to me how short-sighted some owners are. And so this guy was cut out the $30,000 cost. And I mean, he did it for 15, right? So he did it, poor boyed it, which is why it kind of backed up and failed. You know, it was a $30,000 item that we thought we were going to, you know, originally we were going to budget like 200000 for it, right? And so um, we got that fixed, got these units online. And, you know, we quickly on that property, once we unclogged all the arteries, right? Because we just got to a point where dealing with the lender and the draw, and maybe that's, if you asked me on the last show, what's the hardest part of this business? The first, you know, six months to a year is a hard part of this business. The second hardest thing is dealing with lenders and draws. I'm sorry to all lenders. I've not had no one lender is like, man, these are the best in class. And I think there's an opportunity for a lender to be best in class on draws, right? Because for us, I mean, that's half of my asset manager's time has to be spent babysitting draws, right? It's such a painful part. And, you know, some of the draws go quick, some don't. And so, you know, with this lender, it was like a two month process to fight for any draw. And so we did, once we kind of said, screw it, we're not going to just sit here and deal with it. We're just going to execute our business plan with cash on hand and then just, you know, get out of it. Once we did that, I mean, we leased that property. So in three months, we tripled our NOI, right? Or actually tripled our collections and more than tripled our NOI because we're actually in the red. You know, in three months, we literally went from 30,000 in collections or 27,000 up to, you know, about 90,000. I just think that shows the quality of a really good operator too and somebody that's committed to, you know, their business. I mean, you mentioned you all self-funded, right? To make this happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just didn't want to deal with the lender. Like the lender's holding on to a million dollars and we just said like, Hey, this is not worth our time. And then they take two months and I'd rather just get this property humming and now everyone's happy. Right. So, you know, we, we kind of coughed it up and just got the juices flowing and, or, you know, unclogged everything and everything started going from there. And it was just, again, you get past that hump and then it's like roses, properties leasing up, money's coming in, money, yes, you're profitable. You're not operating in the red where, you know, every day you're kind of sweating. You're like, oh man, how much money do we lose this month? No, I just think that's great that you mentioned that because not every operator is going to be willing to do that. No, and I'm surprised whenever I hear stories where operators don't and I'm like, you do know, you know, your investors are your reputation and, you know, you burn investors, you're never going to continue to do deals, right? So... I mean, it's each of their own. Yeah. So give us a couple of big lessons that you took away from this deal, though. 
Man, the biggest lesson is just always have more cash on hand than you might think for these deeper value add deals, right? I'm not talking about deals where you all you're doing is interior upgrades as people move out. And you're only doing two, three, four, five a month, right? I'm talking about deals like where you know you're cleaning house, you're doing a lot. You know, have more like as much cash as you think you might need. Have like two and a half x that. Honestly, that's where we're at now. It's just that extra bit of cash. Yeah, maybe it waters down the returns a little bit, right? Because you're raising more money, but it makes everyone's life easier because cash is king. And, you know, you can do your rehab much quicker because guess what? Yeah, maybe you save 500 grand because you didn't raise that extra 500 grand, so you didn't have to pay returns on that. So now returns on the property modeled out are 5% better, right? But now the thing you're not realizing is if I have cash on hand and I can get all my rehab done in a month versus taking say, eight months, which is what it'll do with a draw. Well, that extra six months is also more profitable than it would have been. And so, you know, it's just not worth the headaches. And so just having more cash on hand, that's critical. Knowing your lender, right? I mean, because again, you know, you are tied to them. You cannot do much with them and they can always make up stuff across the board. And just being leery of that. And again, the other, this goes back to maybe what I hinted at the last show is know the person you're buying from, right? On that deal, we had more deferred maintenance than what we even expected. And we had thought there was a lot, right? So just know the person, you know, this is where now, right, as we're buying bigger deals, better deals, more institutional, whatever you want to call it, we start to see the difference between something that is professionally run versus kind of not difference between semi-professional versus really professional, right? And then, you know, and that really all boils down to just what's the quality of the asset, right? And so do half the units have leaks that aren't really there? And some of this stuff you see in due diligence, right? But a lot of times, you know, things can be painted over and it all looks roses, right? But, you know, you don't really know or you go on to due diligence and you're checking the roof and you realize this guy put like five layers down and I guess the recommendation is supposed to only be two. So knowing who you're buying from, right? And I think, again, that pump speaks for itself, right? The person didn't even know what they were doing whenever you would, you know, not spend $30,000 to bring up. Because again, those nine units, if you just say their average is, let's just say $1,000, right? Rent, they weren't. But to keep it simple, that's making 90000 what, $100,000 more in revenue a year by spending 30000 Wow. Yeah. It's hard to say that doesn't make sense. So. Do you all have a ratio? Do you have some way of calculating how much capital, like a reserve account over here? You know, what do you want in that account? How do you figure that? It's all deal specific. I mean, it just depends on, you know, how much of a value add are we doing? But mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I would almost say if I was to just peg a good rule of thumb, a third of your rehab needs to be in reserves, like cash on hand. Like just, that's probably going to make your life easier. Some things, you know, take longer or not immediate, right? Like you don't need a new sign immediately, right? You can kind of continue to go. But other things are more immediate. And the more on hand, the easier everything gets. Okay. So a few more questions before we run out of time. So just kind of quickly, how are you all preparing for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about? I mean, it's about buying deals differently, right? So for this deal that I mentioned, this was Bridge. We sold this deal and I mean, home run it, right? So this deal, maybe I, I guess there's kind of wrap up that story. Yeah. Once we kind of got it through, we got, this is the one we got the unsolicited offer and we, you know, got our investors are still dotting the I's in terms of the exit right now, but it's going to be somewhere in kind of that 80 to hundred percent return in 18 months, right? So again, a deal that we knew we'd home run, not screw up and it got us into Atlanta. Um, But now, you know, we start to look at deals where if I'm going to do a deeper value add, I still need to have enough meat on the bone just to kind of be a little more resilient, right? Because I don't know in a year or two, can I do an easy refi or is it going to be markets going to be liquid for the next buyer, right? Again, this goes back to... Are you still using bridge debt now? We'll still use bridge, but we're making sure that we're getting bridge where we can go for five years if we need to, right? So that's the first thing. You know, we're not interested in these short-term bridge where like it's 
you know, you get one year and one extension, then it's a bazillion points to get more extensions, right? We kind of, from the beginning, we structure them that way. For our long-term holds, the other thing I'm starting to like a lot more, honestly, is going in less leveraged, right? I think people, to make their deals work, they're going in as max leverage, as max IO as possible. We all love IO. IO is, you know, great. I don't mind IO. But we did a deal in Atlanta last year where, or early this year, where, you know, we knew the areas, it's okay, but fantastic asset. And, you know, we decided to just go in 65% leveraged, right? Like by design, we went in less leverage and got more IO. And that's a deal. I mean, our note on that deal is unbelievably small. Guess what? We will always be able to pay something out to investors on that deal, right? I mean, it, there's just so much more buffer there, right? And the IO helps. And, you know, coincidentally, last week, we got an unsolicited offer for a lot more than we paid for that deal. The nice thing with Bridge, people need to be aware of, is there's no prepay penalties, right? Whereas with agency debt, there's big prepay penalties. And so we have deals today that we, we could sell for a great return, but our prepay is so high that it just doesn't make sense, right? And yeah, we can try to get a person to assume it, but then that's its own problem. Versus with Bridge, you know, we can make quick exits. And so we have another deal right now that we bought in April that's humming along, you know, Bridge that we realistically might make an exit over the summer because it is Bridge, right? Versus another deal that we bought at the same time, that's not bridge, right? It's agency that will be in that deal for quite a while. You'll have to hold it. Yeah. So tell me, Ferris, a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours, like one big thing. Behind Ben and I, we always have the rest of our team, right? I think, you know, we're trying to structure things more. I mean, A, we try to run our company more like a tech company. So kind of going back to my roots, right? Giving people flexibility, letting them kind of be their own boss, but really design the company more around that as well, right? Where we are tracking goals and the breakdown of the initiatives, the tasks that kind of lead up to that goal. And how is that person trending? I don't care when people work. They can work any time of the day they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. It's more about, are you getting you know, things done and are you working towards that goal? Right? I think that's a big one. Another one we've been kind of experimenting is how do we get even more alignment with property management? and kind of property management companies, right? And so getting them into our Slacks and our Asanas and kind of making sure everyone knows all the things being worked on. And then maybe a third one too is trying to, probably going back to my comment earlier with draws, right? All these deals eat money. I mean, it's insane to me how much money these deals could eat that first year and how quickly they could eat it. And so getting, you know, not being reactive to draws, but how do you be proactive, right? And so kind of, you know, having it to where we submit draws on a schedule, and we don't wait for the last draw to come to us before we submit the next one. I mean, it's every month, everything's getting queued up. How do we, you know, streamline to where it's a lot as painful and just getting that ball out of our court and onto the next. Nice. Those are kind of some of the big ones that come to mind. Yeah, no, that's good. It's really good stuff. But last question before we have to go is, you know, what's the one thing that's contributed to your success? Honestly, maybe kind of my background in tech has really helped us, I think, right? It's just, how do we do things differently? I mean, our name is Disrupt Equity. So how do you disrupt things a little bit, right? And do things that might be bigger, harder for most people or, you know, and stand out, right? Even the simplest example of just how do you make sure everything we do looks like it's best in class, right? Really polished, really, you know, from our newsletters, our mobile friendly that people weren't doing before to now it's kind of become a thing or our investor updates are kind of best in class. You know, how do you really stand out and revisit each one of those and and being a system you know kind of a software guy i'm very systems and process oriented so how do you put in systems to track and identify issues to track and identify performance to track and identify deals right so really 
being able to kind of fall back on, because I left Microsoft years ago with the intention of how do I bring tech to businesses that don't have it? So initially in my mind, it was how do I bring software to older industries, right? It's kind of changed into really now it's more, how do I go into maybe older industries like real estate and bring tech into it, right? So not building a software company, like maybe I initially had in mind, but it's really leveraging my strengths to kind of accelerate the growth. So Yeah, so you're definitely doing that. Ferris, another amazing show. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise. I encourage the listener to go back and listen to WS 446, where you know went through Ferris's bio and asked him other numerous questions that I commonly ask other guests, you know, that you may be waiting for me to ask now, but unfortunately we're out of time. But Ferris, tell the listeners, though, how to get in touch with you. Yeah, no, no, feel free. Anyone, I mean, disruptequity.com, D-I-S-R-U-P-T, equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y.com, or uh, Ferris, F-E-R-A-S, at disruptequity.com. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.